Welcome to Whatever Happened to Vic Diaz on this spooky <laughs> episode. I mean, come on. <laughs> We're looking at Serio uh, H. Santiago's horror comedy, Vampire Hookers from 1978, starring John Carradine, Bruce Fairbairn, Trey Wilson, and of course, guess who? Vic Diaz as Pavo. As ever, I'm your host, Liam O'Donnell, here to talk to you about Vic Diaz. I'm also talking to my buddy my friend, and my mortal enemy, Doug Tilly. Doug, how are you doing today? Liam O'Donnell, as I live and breathe. Uh, <laughs> very excited. You to... always have to have some pre-written something, because that I did don't have not written... come off the top of your head. That's Stop. off the dome, brother. You, uh, I know you, you have a card catalog in your brain of like, what's a thing I can say? Yeah, what's some stupid shit I can say <laughs> at the beginning uh-huh. of our show? Absolutely, I do have that. Uh, I like writing it, but sometimes I just have it ready to go. Liam, I'm so happy to be here. It's a very spooky season right now, as you referred to in the opening that I also wrote. Uh, it's it's almost Halloween, and by the time people are listening to that, this it'll be even closer to Halloween. I do like that you uh, recorded the fact that you write the intros, regardless of who's hosting, because I think sometimes people can hear my meta criticism of what you wrote and how I perform it, and I like that. I like that that people are thinking it's a weird delivery that Liam just gave. It's like, is it though? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put this out into the world. So I have yes. another podcast called No Budget Nightmares, uh, and my co-host on that podcast is very lazy. Uh, in regards to how much content he wants to put into, you know, the writing of any episode, which is fine. That's part of the role that he plays on it. Uh, so when we started recording together, Liam, I was like, well, this is great because it'll be more of like a 50-50 type partnership. Sure. Yeah, sure. But it it's not. I do all the... <laughs> I read I mean, everything, and Liam is surprised at what he has to read, because not <laughs> only do you not write it, you don't even read it before you say it. I mean, look, A, we've talked about this before. This is old hat on this show. B, I get it, Doug. I just, you know, outlines, writing. <laughs> if I wanted to write something, I'd write something, and I'd put it on the internet for no one to read. This is about my performance. <laughs> I, I, uh, this, uh, don't take this the wrong way, Liam. <laughs> Oh, no. This, this, you're going to say this is why you don't listen to any of my other podcasts? I'm just going to say, if you did have as much podcasting, but you did it twice as well, you'd probably have a lot more popular podcasts. Oh, man. <laughs> but I say that harsh. knowing that, I, that I'm a part of some of those unpopular podcasts. <laughs> you're very harsh to me, Doug. You're very hey, look, harsh. Tough love is what I'm saying. This is all about at uh, I just at, think it's I think actually it's different strokes for different folks. I mm. I actually think of this show as my like professional show even though for you <laughs> we're at this like low level cuz you want everything scripted and timed and written out and that is just, not you true want, you want whatsoever. all that you want all that Our white, outline is you like want a page all that and white dude control that makes you feel good. But 
I know that that's not what everyone looks for. And in fact, when I ask people, you know, hey, have you checked out the Cinema Sports we get? They're always like, yeah, that's like your formal show. I don't like that one as much. So I'm like, okay, Bull that's fine. Fucking shit. I but thought also it was because they didn't like you. I really thought, okay, some people don't like Cinema Sports because they don't like Doug. But that doesn't. That's not the case. I know that's what you think. But that's it, not it the sounds case. to me like they're trying to spare your feelings, Liam O'Donnell. These uh, are people who fawn over my other shows. <laughs> well, fuck them. Fawn, Doug. I had them listen to this one so they can understand <laughs> what a real podcast sounds like. It's not all it is. Like, like a formal show. We write down five talking points, and I want to have a structure where we say, "All right, we're going to go to the break, and now we're going to come back and talk about." No, the movie. I get it. You love your intellectual prison that we're trapped here, and that's fine. I can thrive. I can. You be are a the bonsai. prison guard at this. I can be a bonsai prison. tree. I can be a bonsai instead of a actual like healthy plant. Uh, so uh, one of the things that I definitely thought of and was not Doug's idea is that you know there's a number of movies that we're probably never going to get to cover here on Whatever Happened to Vic Diaz. Not because we don't want to, but because they are uh, you know, Filipino productions that were never translated into English, and it's unclear that they've ever had any sort of uh, home video release or uh, made available here. And, and as much as we love this show, I I've talked to Doug about it. I don't think he's willing to learn Filipino so he can create uh, our own English subtitles for these movies, even if we could find them. So uh, I thought it'd be interesting, uh, and I definitely did, and Doug didn't think of this, and it it's not that Doug wrote this in the notes. I this is entirely my idea, uh, <laughs> that we could talk about one of those movies that we're not likely to get a chance to see. Uh, one of those hard to track down movies, a movie called, and um, I'm going to try this, uh, <laughs> Magnong... Mandrukat. What do you think? Do you think I was close on that, Doug? Mandrukat. Uh, yeah, I'd Mandrukat. say it's close enough. Co-directed by Sirio H. Santiago, the director of Vampire Hookers, which we're discussing today, and Armando H. Herrera, who directed dozens of Filipino films from 1962 to 1980. Uh, Ma Ma oh, I'm going to try it again. Magnong Mandrukat is uh, based off a comic book. Uh, uh, or I guess a comic strip. I don't know if it yeah. appeared in a in book form or not. Um, Doug, you did a little bit of research about this. Do you, oh, we're throwing this, this at me. <laughs> yeah, I'm throwing it over to you. Yeah, I did do a little bit of research on it. Uh, I do want to mention that the uh, tagline for the movie is "Like a thief in the night, he played the most dangerous game with the enemy," which is a uh, little wordy, but uh, it, it gets the the idea across. It is so. I don't really understand how. Filipino comic strips were um, distributed. They were at least collected in volumes that people could purchase. And apparently, this was a fairly popular comic strip back in 1963. Almost all of the uh, the pictures from the comic I could find online were all from that year. So I don't know if they're like short-term things. I don't know if it's based specifically on the material that's in the movie or anything like that. I wish I had a little more information on that. But I like the idea that this is a comic strip adaptation starring Fernando Poe Jr., who, again, look, I apologize if you are a fan of Filipino films and Filipino film history. This is all very new to me. Uh, Fernando Poe Jr. was known as the king of the Philippine movies. And I was reading his career, uh, reading about his career, I should say, very interesting actor. Uh, he had basically in the 60s, he was in a series of films where he played like this kind of stock character as a champion of the downtrodden, which you can imagine made him very popular uh, with mainstream audiences. And those audiences, 
he would later try to use that power to run for political office. He actually ran for president of the Philippines uh, in the same year that he died, I think, in 2004. Uh, but uh, obviously a very, very popular actor. And this movie as well, Liam O'Donnell, uh, featured Vic Diaz. And th- this is one of the interesting things about this era of Filipino films is that there were dozens and dozens of them made. Uh, and they all seem very interesting. I mean, I, I don't really know much about the plot of this one. All I'm taking from it is that tagline uh, and the fact that it's adapted from a comic. But it's it it always interests me when you have what are, for that audience, a very mainstream movie that did very well, that has a, a very famous actor and actors in it, that is not available to us in any way. Uh, it just makes me, you know, I, I always like the idea of, it seems to happen yearly. People discovering kind of this new area of film mm-hmm. that 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 was not kind of of exposed to a greater Western audience before. And I'm hoping that something like this maybe it'll have its day yet. Uh, and and maybe these are movies uh, from this era that are available in the Philippines uh, in some capacity, but uh, just haven't. There's no, there's no suggestion that there's a wide enough audience for them to get that translation and to be brought over. So maybe one of these days, you know, we, we, we've introduced this like, hey, we'll never get to see Magnong Mandarokat or whatever it's pronounced as. Uh, but Mandarokat. Yeah, Mandarokat. Oh, sure. That's how you pronounced it. <laughs> yeah, I, but I, 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 I'm thinking I'm right. I'm going to go with I'm right. Uh, but we don't know. May, ho- hopefully, uh, before all is said and done, we will get a chance to see it. Well, this looks like a, a war movie, and I'll be honest with y'all. I'm not a big war movie person, so uh, I don't know if I would love this or not. But the aspect of it I would love is covering Vic Diaz movies so far has not it, – it's been diverse in one sense because there's been a weird variety of things. But in general, those roles are still within a mostly solidly exploitation kind of world you know what yeah. i mean like uh even if if maybe not just exploitation but genre world and seeing him in this sort of movie now we don't know i i, I don't know if you read anything about the role he plays in the film it's hard to find any information right. about it in english yeah right. it's a little different right. but i mean you know knowing that serio santiago would go on to make almost exclusively exploitation movies starting in the right. 70s right. uh i mean maybe it wasn't starting in the 70s maybe he came from that tradition and this is you know it's it's maybe even though it's a war type content it maybe it's a little bit more um you know interesting and but there's and a hoping. chance that he wasn't playing a um flatulent vampire <laughs> yeah a flatulent non-vampire <laughs> That's right. a clearly developmentally disabled person yeah that would that would be cool to see him in something not that i mean it, at least in this kind of movie there's a chance that he could even be playing like a respectable soldier and uh i think other than the uh no i don't think have we seen him yet in something that didn't have um some like ridiculous like i feel like everything we've we've talked about on this show has been um maybe not all comedic but there's been something interesting or over the top or villainous about every character we've seen him play is that I mean, fair to say he plays a lot of villains i don't think that's a sure, real surprise but it, the chance that maybe he didn't in this movie has me already inter- like any movie we can cover where he's just like hey i'm a normal guy i'd be like oh okay that's cool let's see how he pulls that off you know what i mean yeah because even in something like white force he played you know which was a fairly straight role that he plays in that movie it's still somewhat ridiculous you know him 
escaping on the back of a, I can't remember how he does, how he escapes in that car chase. But that, that was movie. but that was more interesting that he was playing a cop like yeah. a like a uh, was it a cop or a federal officer? I, I think it's like a federal that. officer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, it was that sort of role where he wasn't again being trapped in a box with his own farts. So <laughs> speaking gonna... of a box of his own farts, we're going to talk about Vampire Hookers today from 1978. I, I'm glad that we picked a spooky movie. <laughs> yes. To yes. watch, we actually specifically did pick a horror movie to cover because it's uh, our last episode before Halloween proper occurs. Uh, and uh, and hey, you know what? There's there's vampires. There's a cemetery. There's a spooky atmosphere, Liam. I think we're I think we're in good stead. Well, everyone should keep their spooky spirits as we go into it. Uh, but you know, we might find that this is more humor than horror. <laughs> We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Fucking hell. <laughs> Prepare yourself for horror unspeakable. Vampire Hookers. It may be the most exciting emotional experience you'll enjoy this year. You like the way I look? Yeah. A red-blooded American. What the hell is this? That, my friend, is not the question. To be or not to be, that is the question. You're out of your mind, pal. Vampire Hookers is tasteful, delicious, pulse-pounding entertainment. I am Richmond Reed. I died in 1847. Died in... 1847. That would make you a... Vampire. We are all vampires. Ah! You die now! Vampire Hookers, close encounters of a different kind. John Carradine is an aged vampire who has a bevy of vampiric beauties who lure many of their customers back to his lair. It's in a graveyard. A pair of virile young Navy sailors get mixed up in their shenanigans. And then more shen- there's shenanigans. There's sh- it's uh, 1978's Vampire Hookers, <laughs> directed by Sirio H. Santiago, uh, a pioneering Filipino director. We talked, a, you know, just a little bit ago about uh, one of his bigger films, but he also did um, more than 20 films for Roger Corman, uh, things like TNT Jackson, Death Force, uh, She Devils in Chains. Um, <laughs> apparently a ton of 80s Mad Max. I like balls. you're just reading it for the first time. The fucking stuff I put in front of you. Are you kidding me? All you had to do was just read it over with your eyes. Just go, okay. And now I know what I'm going to say. You're telling me people would rather listen to you improvise your shit <laughs> instead of just reading some facts at the beginning of the show. Yeah, because no one cares about facts. I don't do facts. I can on my tell other you right shows. now, if you go over to Tubi.tv, uh-huh. you can watch like. Seven different post-apocalyptic movies that Sergio Santiago made in the 1980s. They all look indistinguishable from each other, but I still oh, like to see sure. them. I like I like yeah, that yeah. subgenre. I actually do like those a lot. I love how you still had to take the time to insult me 
You th- you're just a jerk. Doug. All you That's had to do was read. It's right there in front of you. Just read it. I am. I'm reading it now. And honestly, <laughs> if I'd read it, I still would have said, and apparently a ton of 80s. That's still what I would say. Um, apparently. Just look it up. Just look up that it's true. I like apparently. I'm going to put a bunch of bullshit in. Just have you read it. And people are like, Liam doesn't know what he's talking about. Why you got to be such a jerk? Because I put the work into making this fucking thing. <laughs> I mean, you cut and pasted from IMDb. It's not a ton of work. I had to edit down movies that people <laughs> might have heard of. <laughs> the film was written by Howard R. Cohen, director of Saturday the 14th, Space Raiders, writer of Deathstalker, Barbarian Queen, Young Nurses, Cover Girl Models. Uh, as we said already, it stars John Carradine, Bruce Fairbairn, which, by the way, I've always found that name kind of frustrating. Yeah, that's a difficult one. I agree with that, actually. Yeah, Fairbairn, uh, Trey Wilson, Karen Stride, Linka Novak, Katie Dolan, uh, Leo Martinez, and, of course, the man, Vic Diaz. Uh, It's it's a weird film. It's a weird film. (laughs) You you hear a movie called Vampire Hookers. You have an idea of what to expect. This kind of delivered on most of what I expected, but, you know, it, it still was kind of surprising in some ways. But Doug, what did you think of 1978's Vampire Hookers? It's so fucking weird. It's a really weird movie. Uh, you're right. It absolutely does deliver everything that you expect out of it. It is funny in a sense in that it's it's obviously very comedic all the way through. You expect at some point there's going to be some like nudity and sexuality. And they put that all basically in one sequence that goes on for like 12 minutes straight of this one dude having sex with three quote unquote vampire hookers uh and the rest of it is kind of bottom level humor but it kind of worked for me to be totally honest it really did seem like everyone was having a good time making this and it's kind of a unique structure where you have these these sailors who are on leave and they're in the philippines and they're looking for a good time it's kind of like the last detail mixed with vampires (laughs) to a certain extent and then they you know they made make their way to this crypt which has a spooky cemetery in it. And uh, John Carradine is just there quoting Shakespeare the whole time, having a good time. It's it's a lot of fun. I actually enjoyed it quite a bit, mostly because it's so short. It, it doesn't overstay its welcome. I think that the, the performers in it, uh, Bruce Fairbairn and particularly Trey Wilson, I think are a lot of fun together. Um, and and it, it I think at its core, it's maybe a little more clever than I was expecting it to be. And I know that's kind of funny to say because one of the big comedic moments in this movie is Vic Diaz is farting constantly. Uh, like that's kind of his, that is his character trait. That's there's two things we know about him. He is uh, not quite a vampire. Uh, well, I guess three things. He is like maybe mentally challenged, and he farts all the time. And that's his character. Not the most respectful role for Mr. Vic Diaz here, but I do have to say I, I enjoyed this one more than I thought I was going to. I mean, uh, of course, Doug would love a movie called Vampire Hookers. This is right up your alley. But uh, look, I am who I, I am. That's what I will, Popeye I will said. Say, that's what I'm saying. I will say, if you can see past the uh, uh, super demeaning uh, trans segment, or uh, oh, that's right, I forgot of, about of that. Film, yeah, and yeah, you yeah, can yeah, yeah. See, and you can see past the general like 
hey, Americans in other countries having fun, taking advantage. They're sailors. They get to do whatever the fuck they want. If if that stuff doesn't bother you, I will say the rest of the movie is actually kind of fun. Um, I, I You know this, Doug, because we've been talking about movies for a little bit, but for those of you who don't know, I just have a mild bias against... Um, uh, this kind of like first of all the fact that this is a film from 1978 is mind-boggling I know it's crazy <laughs> the level of uh, the level there's two things actually why I say that one is the goofiness of it like yeah there's probably I don't even know if there's I, I don't even know if I would say there's more nudity than there would be in an older film because I feel like it's it's about standard that aspect of it but the humor is so Oh, it's so from a certain time to me that doesn't feel like 1978. It feels, it feels very. It, it, I don't know ahead. if it. I was just going to say it kind of feels like the one of those David Friedman exploitation yes. movies from the early 70s, like yes. Traitor Horny or something like that, where yeah. it's just really, really silly humor, a lot of bad taste stuff, a lot of mm-hmm. flatulent mm-hmm. type stuff, mixed with sexuality, and those are kind of like you know, kind of classic drive-in movies. But you're right. This being 1978, it's bonkers to me because you can kind of feel, in some way, in the attitudes and the and the fashions and stuff like that, that it's kind of disco era. Yeah, it's weird though, man. I mean, but the, I mean, let's actually, I, I could go on about this, but I wanted to ask you a question. Do you think sure. this film is a horror comedy, a spooky comedy, or a sex comedy that has horror stuff in it? I think it's the latter because I don't think any of it is meant to be scary. Not uh, even a little bit. Yeah. Not even a little bit. They undercut it constantly. John Carradine's character is is played for laughs the entire time. Um, even like the final. We'll, we'll talk about probably the ending before we're all all said and done here. But like it it it's just meant to be as silly as possible. Yeah. No. I just think it's supposed to be a sex comedy with kind of horror a horror tinge to it. My and this is my issue with the movie, where uh, while I wasn't entirely turned off by it or anything like that, in general, I don't like sex comedies um, because I find the humor that they have in them to be like just too dumb for me. It's just too yeah. juvenile. And when I say juvenile, people think, oh, because it's poo poo pee pee jokes like no like a good dick joke a good cum joke like yes please i am an immature child it's the level of the jokes they're so basic that like it starts to wear on my nerves a little bit plus like the you know the misadventures of white men lost in a brown world is already not a genre i'm super stoked on you know like the whole like navy based shenanigans which is like a kind of movie right doug like there's mm-hmm. a whole variety of these i'm not saying vampire hooker movies i'm saying we're two white sailors we're on some island country somewhere or we're somewhere out in the world that isn't america and we're gonna get into some misadventures yeah, that kind of romanticized on the town type shenanigans are de- is definitely yeah. in in it uh, has a long tradition in film and i mean they're like transparently two very horny guys who want to get laid and that's all they care about i mean to the movie's credit and maybe this is because of who's helming it they basically fail at every corner until they really ridiculously are lured into a lair of vampires but i see exactly what you're saying particularly because and i I feel really bad about the fact that i glossed over the transphobia in the first half hour which is i mean even at the time was is absolutely horrible bad taste 
but uh, but it just in retrospect, it just looks like you know the most ignorant horseshit. Well, the part about it that's so frustrating is if you are someone who isn't sensitive to that issue, then you see what's actually trying to happen is that the director's trying to. To me, this is a retro film that is actually when you said it's a little more. Um, uh, not witty, but you know, it, it, it's a little more clever than you would think. I think it's this director is is uh, turning some of the tropes of this genre on its ear. You know, like it, it's supposed to be really funny that these two dingbats went into uh, a local bar and basically got in a fight with a local uh, group of of uh, of let's say uh, gender nonconforming. Um, possibly uh, sex workers. It's not really clear. It's, yeah, it's a little hard but to say. They run afoul of them, and it's a. It's supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be we're turning America on its head. We're making fun of these sailors. I think it's supposed to actually be like not quite revolutionary, but you know, thumbing your nose at the colonial establishment because that's really what America's attitude towards the Philippines was at this time. Is like it's not yet our property, but it might as well be. Um, and. Therefore, the fact that the tool to uh, to you know acquire this much needed release of making fun of these sailors is these these uh, these folks that you know again this was a time when people weren't using the term trans, but it, it it at least is a way that if you were trans, you might feel like you're seeing yourself represented on screen. It's like super demeaning, you know, and that's not the intention at all. I don't think he was like, yeah, I got to I got to make sure people know what these people are like or anything like that. But the fact that that is what they're good for in the movie, it's a real bummer because if it were something else that accomplished the same goal, I'd be like, ha yeah, fuck them sailors. You know what I mean? Like, right, right. It, it would actually be pretty effective. It's just that uh, yet again, we're instrumental instrumentalizing a community that probably what in real life, that's a situation where they would be subject to violence and hatred. Yeah, and absolutely. you know what I mean? So it's, it, it's, you know, it is what it is. I don't think it's the end of the world or anything, but it's just frustrating because, um, it adds a little bit of an edge to the movie. And I, I think in general, like I think that's what the movie's trying to do is that it it by 78, even in movies shot in the Philippines, I think this would feel like an older movie that they're kind of updating in some ways with disco stuff, with maybe more sexiness, although it doesn't feel that much different in a lot of ways. Uh, but I do like the whole idea that the the dashing hero type is the dingbat. And the dingbat dude, the comedic relief, is the only one who's got a clue. I mean, he's the one who has to go get the garlic and the crosses. And the, you know, <laughs> he he has the actual agency here. And you know, uh, Big Dick McGee uh, is just around to, to to mindlessly hump vampires. And you know, that's it. You know, it's it's. I think in that sense, there's a bit of cleverness there, and and that made it better for me. But this is just not my style of movie, Doug. Yeah, I get that. I have to want to ask you about John Carradine. An actor yeah. who I've seen in dozens of different movies, particularly in his kind of later era from like the mid-70s until his death, I think in the late 80s. Um, I know he's a strong actor. I've seen him in The Grapes of Wrath. I know that he's he he um, excelled in horror movies throughout the 40s and 50s. But when I, I've seen him so decrepit in so many movies because he worked so often before like the very end of his life. When I think of him, I just think of him as this kind of sad, decrepit old man, and I think that's really unfair for him as a performer, but it's just because that's most of the movies I've seen him in are like that. How do you think he is here? 
I mean, <laughs> he's a. I, I guess he's a punchline. I don't know. I don't. I, I. I don't have any particular attachment. I mean, one he's way supposed or to be the, the class of this movie. He's the star of it. I know, but it, everything he's doing is supposed to be like kind of goofy. You know, like that. The idea that he is this like super uh, sophisticated guy who lives in a tomb <laughs> and has like pr- you know prostitute vampire underlings. It's not exactly like a, I don't know. It just feels like his constant references to Shakespeare being a vampire and all that kind of stuff is like supposed to be really funny, and it's it's I just just didn't think it was that funny. That seems like it was just like his idea, like because oh I, I'm sure he, he he was a guy who loved Shakespeare, and and I think even before his death, like his on his deathbed, David Carradine was reading Shakespeare to him. I mean, I think this is a thing where it's like he knows all this Shakespeare stuff anyway, so let's just write it into the movie. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I guess, you know, one of the questions I had for you, Doug, and maybe this goes into like my disconnect from this film is like, what is the audience for this movie? Like in 1978, like I'm imagining this hits grindhouse theaters, drive ins, whatever. Is there a big audience that's like, oh, shit, John Carradine in a sexy vampire? I got to get on that, you know? And not just the, the, the perspective audience, but then who are the people that like would have seen this when it came out? Like I, I, my, my inclination is to think that this movie appeals now because of nostalgia. So, you know, in 1978, you're not, you're not dealing with that level of nostalgia. Who, who are the people that would be stoked on this movie? Like who is this movie for? I think that this movie hit the tail end of a lot of trends, right? I mean, and even really the exploitation movies made in the Philippines trend, uh, would turn almost, you know, would turn to Mad Max ripoffs and Rambo ripoffs in the 1980s. At this point, it hadn't reached that yet. This is sort of the post um, kind of heyday of Roger Corman produced exploitation movies, you know, like the women in prison movies, some of them, which we've already discussed on this show. And I think there's a bit of a scramble to try to find. It's like, we still have these scripts, uh, you know, uh, we still have these performers, we can still make movies there, but we're trying to find the next big hot thing, and it feels like, it, to find out what that is, they kind of reached back. I mean, this is sort of in the tradition of those early 70s Roger Corman movies as well, like things like uh, The Young Nurses and CoverGirl Models, which is, you know, kind of very silly um uh, very light sex comedies, but this one has more of an, I guess, a more of an edge to it because of the horror element that's included. But it kind of feels like it's searching for an audience instead of already having one built in. Yeah, it, I feel I feel similarly that there's a there's a bunch of um, kind of trends that is connect, it's connected to, and it just felt for me like I was watching it thinking like, and, and maybe I feel this about a few of these movies is like. Were there people for whom um, this movie was sexy, you know, and and I, you know, were there people for whom this movie was like a laugh riot? Were there people for whom this movie was just enough of a mix of all of those elements, you know? Were there people who saw this movie because they were big John Carradine fans? I just don't know. I just like the idea that this movie came out like at the same time as John Carpenter's Halloween came out. Right. Like that's the kind of thing it was sharing. And it seems like it's from an entirely different generation than that. It's hard to even I mean, when you put that into perspective, it's just hard to jive the two things together. So you're right. It does feel like from a different era. I mean, maybe it was just trying to get the tail end of the audiences who were still into that sort of thing. But but even the fact that it has such a lurid title 
much more lurid than you would see in a lot of those exploitation movies. It really feels like it's like, all right, let's get what's left of this audience while we're still trying to figure out what the next thing's going to be. So, Doug, there is a uh, basically the the movie ends with what is essentially a theme song, uh, and. I would like you to tell our listeners about the song and recommend them that they find it and put it on their Halloween playlist. Well, no, legitimately. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the the theme song plays over the closing credits. Uh, it is ridiculous, as you can probably uh, imagine. It is called Vampire Hookers, just like the movie proper. I'm going to play it in our closing at the end of the show so you can uh, listen to it yourself. Maybe decide whether it's something that you want to include on your Halloween playlists but uh just know that the one of the the lines in it is they're vampire hookers and blood is not all they suck (laughs) oh my gosh well i i think that's a good transition for us to talk about vic diaz because um despite the uh you know concerning transphobia in the movie the the most of the movie is pretty light uh i don't think there's much here to worry about but i do wonder about our man vic diaz in this movie uh, Doug, what did you think of Vic Diaz in the film Vampire Hookers? I mean, it's a very demeaning role. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Um, it, it is different for him. I mean, we, we haven't seen him in such a ridiculous role, I don't think, on this show so far. But he's basically playing a like a helper character to the vampires. He's, he's not quite... They're familiar. Yes, they're familiar. That's exactly right. It's funny that I didn't think of that since we talked about that on our most recent episode. But yeah, he's supposed to be like the vampire familiar. But it's also kind of like he's supposed to be halfway a vampire. I think he's waiting for his fangs to come in or something like that. I mean, he's supposed to be simple-minded. Uh, I know that that's a... That, I mean, it's just how he's presented in the movie. And his other defining trait is that he farts constantly. Uh, and that is something that ha- like they focus on in the movie. This is a very childish movie in terms of its level of humor. Um, he is a lot of fun in it. He does seem to be having a really good time. I like that he's presented as this threat to these two sailors, even though he seems entirely incompetent at actually, you know, attacking them or tracking them down. But like when he's running after them in the graveyard, they're like, we need 10 more guys to take him on. It's just like, he's Vic Diaz. It looks like his pants are barely held together. It looks like he's just going to fall over at any moment. Um, demeaning is the word that I would use to describe this performance, but I have to admit, I still enjoyed seeing him play such a silly role. It's hard because um, oftentimes this level of comedic uh role you know like he's the comic relief of of a film that has a lot of jokes in it but he's like the goofiest role in the movie yeah sometimes that can take over a movie and you can be the star demeaning (laughs) or no and that i don't think that happens here uh (laughs) you mean he's not bill murray in uh in caddyshack (laughs) yeah but but you know what i mean like if you said vic diaz in this movie is like a caddyshack bill murray caddyshack kind of role i mean it is in the sense of it's totally ridiculous and they often cut to him doing ridiculous stuff at the expense of the rest of the movie. But uh, but it doesn't quite steal the show. Uh, the other danger, of course, is that it's utterly demeaning, where you're thinking, why did you even do this? I don't think it's that bad either, but it, it really bumps up against it. I think it it helps that there are one or two other Filipino actors in this film who speak who aren't just punchlines. Yeah. Because so much of this movie, though set in the Philippines, is white. 
Yes. That if all we had was Vic Diaz walking around, talking funny, farting, being this, whatever, it would start to feel terrible. But honestly, uh, you know, the local officials, the tax, I mean, in a way, because our main characters are so honestly uh, dumb, uh, or at least they're they're not quite heroic, um, the taxi drivers seem pretty cool by comparison. Yeah, absolutely. Having characters like those makes it feel like, okay, we're not... And you might say, well, of course it wouldn't be like that because the director's Filipino. But that's not necessarily no, true, you know? that's not necessarily true at all. You, you play to your audience and, and, you, and you do what your producers want. And there's all kinds of reasons you might end up intentionally or unintentionally making a movie that laughs at you know the people who live there. And I don't think that's where the role goes. But there is such a danger of that, you know? And it it, it, it doesn't help that... Our vampires are well. One of them is not white, but they're mostly white. So that even that relationship where he's basically their bumbling servant, it's yeah. it's it could be more awkward than it is. Um, that being said, I mean Vic Diaz is funny. He sells every fart, you know. He sells, he sells every fart, boy. He, I'm just <laughs> saying, like, like, like. I don't like that he's doing this in this movie i i think he, I, i'd rather see him do other things because I, I like him doing other things but it's at least it's not like um it's not like he's not there it's not like he isn't in the role yeah know? i mean so. he has it's a pretty substantial part as well right one right. of the few as as you referred to one of the few filipino actors who have a substantial part in this movie and like a named character it's just not you know particularly respectable one i i watch a lot of movies with subtitles on it's just just how I enjoy watching movies, and every time he farts in the movie, it just says flatulent sputtering on it, which, <laughs> which I just thought was so funny uh, yeah, because yeah, I have I the like sense that. of humor of a two-year-old. But uh, look, we're going to see Vic Diaz in a lot of roles. We've already seen him in ones where, uh, you know, when when he's playing the, the 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 gay prison guard in the other movie, which which is an, another role where it you know he's not exactly. That that he's really leaning into the exploitation elements of of the the kind of movies that he's making. Sure, here he's supposed to be the comic relief, and I think he does really well in it, even though it's a really ridiculous role. Well, I don't know, Doug. What do you think? Is is nineteen seventy eight Vampire Hookers a lost gem that people should go to find? <laughs> I look. It, you I know like what the idea that we're going to end every episode now, just declaring <laughs> things gems or not. <laughs> It is a movie I don't hear a lot of people talking about, uh, considering that there is a, a certain pedigree be- between Sergio Santiago being the director, between John Carradine being in it, the writer, you know, having a, a certain level of success in the Roger Corman school and even directing uh, some pretty popular movies himself. So, with that in mind, I do think that I do think that if you're in the right kind of childish mindset, that you can have some fun with it. I do think that Trey Wilson. Uh, is really fun in the movie. We didn't really mention him, but uh, for those who are fans of the Coen brothers uh, raising Arizona, he plays Nathan Arizona in that. He actually passed away when he was 40. One of those actors who just looked like he was 40, probably came out of the womb looking like he was 40. He died in, in I think, 1990, which would have been 12 years after this, meaning that he was like um, in his 20s in this, <laughs> despite the fact that he absolutely looks like he's way older. Uh, but I think he does a really good job. Ah, I think it's a mild recommendation with the caveat of everything that we just said. It's just one of those things where I don't like it, but there are things 
we know like terrible it. people who would like it. <laughs> well, I was gonna say more like there are things that are like it that are very popular. Like I like like you know what I mean. Like I I, I don't think it's an anomaly. I think this is uh, this could stand with any number of gross sex comedies that people think are funny. Yeah. Uh, and so you know it's weird that this one isn't a little more popular than it is considering. Um, and anything that uh, would get uh, more people talking about Vic Diaz would make me happy. So anyways. Yeah. That's it for 1978 Vampire Hookers. Uh, on our next episode, we'll be talking about 1989's Blood Fist. <laughs> I'm really it's, excited about this. Yeah, have you seen this before, Doug? Is this I, a, is this a return for you or no? it, It's so interesting. Look, I, I for those who were alive in the 1990s and, and renting movies from the video store, Don the Dragon Wilson had like like he was a name. Right, he was someone because he was just in so many movies, and I watched a bunch of them, but I don't remember anything about any of them. But the Bloodfist poster is really interesting. There is a quote from a critic on it that says, "Exhilarating." At the end, the audience stood and cheered. If you see one martial arts movie this year, see Bloodfist. If you see two, see it twice. <laughs> Terrible. No, there's no way. Don the Dragon Wilson in it. Also, Billy Blanks, Mr. Tybo himself, is in this movie, uh, directed by Terrence H. Winkless, Blood Fist from 1989. I, if I, I probably have seen it. I remember nothing about it. It's obviously trying to trade on the popularity uh, or the rising popularity of Jean-Claude Van Damme at the time and movies like Best of the Best, uh, which I guess maybe the first Best of the Best didn't come out for a couple of years after this. But certainly it's in that uh, that that kind of general feeling towards martial arts movies at the time. I think this is the one that solidified Don the Dragon Wilson as a major movie star, so Blood Fist, looking forward to it. I'm pretty excited as well, Doug, uh, especially because it's got my man Billy in there. Billy Blanks, yes. <laughs> Mr. Blanks. Star, star of, uh, what was that terrible werewolf movie we watched? Uh, oh my God, you're right. <laughs> Shadow of the Moon or whatever it was. I forget. Is that Dark Moon Rising? Dark Moon Rising. So just because people are not going to understand what the hell we're talking about... <laughs> Billy Blanks is credited in the credits of Dark Moon Rising and then doesn't appear in the movie. Nope. Nope. <laughs> not at all. I don't think I've ever <laughs> seen that happen before. <laughs> Doug, if, if if people enjoy this level of Billy Blanks commentary and they watch more of that, where can they find out more about uh, this podcast and other podcasts? I don't know why you would want to do that. But yeah, you can uh, check out our latest episodes over at Cinepunks.com along with a ton of other great podcasts and really wonderful spooky Halloween content. They're currently doing their Cineween um, uh, kind of promotion, I guess you would say, where there's tons and tons of horror and horror-adjacent type uh, articles and podcasts that you can check out. If you want to just check out more about Cinema Smorgasbord, you can do that over at cinemasmorgasbord.com. Check out all of our podcasts devoted to actors as diverse as Carol Kane, as Jackie Chan, and of course, Eric Roberts. Uh, And you can also follow us on social media. Check out Cinema Smorgasbord on Facebook or Cinema Smorg. That's S-M-O-R-G on Twitter. You can follow Liam on Twitter at Liam Rules. That's R-U-L-Z. Or you can follow me on Twitter. That's Doug underscore Chili. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Please tell your friends about the show. And we look forward to talking to you again sometime soon about the man, the myth, the legend, Vic Diaz. Have a good night. Stay spooky.